This episode is brought to you by ProMensal. I think we need to look at the menopause in a very different way. I think we don't need to think about just it as a few symptoms and an inconvenience. We need to think about it as a condition that increased risks of disease. Welcome to Thriving in Menopause, brought to you by Prevention Magazine. I'm Zoe Mernier, the editor of Prevention. Thank you for joining me for Episode 4 of Season 8. Today on the podcast, we're joined by a very special guest, Dr Louise Newson, perhaps the UK's most renowned menopause warrior. A GP who runs her own menopause clinic, Dr Newson founded the Menopause Charity in the UK and perhaps most significantly, she developed and now runs the Balance website and app which gives free advice to help support women through perimenopause and menopause. Dr Newson, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> Pleasure. I actually have a bit of a funny story for you. Last week, our guest on the show, Dr. Talat Upal, spent some time with you during your recent visit to Australia. And when we caught up with her just beforehand, she was laughing about the fact that her kids were teasing her because she was so hyped up and kind of fangirling over the thought of meeting you. <laughs> and she told them it was a bit like the equivalent of going to a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> so Very there you kind. go. Can you talk us through a bit about how you came to be such such a force in the menopause space? Yeah, it was like most things, it was by accident, really, I suppose. I've got um, an unusual background for a menopause specialist in that I'm not a gynaecologist. Um, I'm not a women's health specialist, really, but I've got a pathology degree. So I'm very interested in basic science. And obviously, I'm a clinician as well. And I spent many years as a hospital doctor actually wanting to do oncology and been with my husband since the age of 18, who's now a surgeon, sort of forced me, not forced me, but changed me into a different direction. Because once we got married and I was thinking about family and looking for a role model, a female role model in medicine, I couldn't really find one. So I decided to pivot into general practice, which actually gave me the ability to work part time as a GP, but also part time as a medical writer. But being a GP has made me very holistic, maybe thinking more about just the disease or the symptoms of the person in front of me, but the impact it has on that individual. And then seven years, nearly eight years ago now, the NICE menopause guidance came out and I was reviewing what they'd written for um, Royal College of GPs. I thought, actually, this is only half the story. What we do know is how safe HRT is as a treatment, not just to improve symptoms, but to reduce future disease. And I thought, actually, this is outrageous that I didn't know this as a clinician, but actually women who are experiencing symptoms don't know these facts as well. We've been hoodwinked for the last 20 years. So I decided to just do, I thought then, a little bit of clinical work, thinking there wasn't a huge need, but just to help a few people who were suffering. But then the enormity of the problem, obviously 1.2 billion women worldwide are menopausal and the minority of women receive treatment, has led me to this sort of crusade, really, so, um, a lot of my work is really enabling women to be advocates for themselves and understand what's going on, and then they can make choices that are right for them. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, what do you see? And I mean, this is a pretty huge and loaded question, granted. But what do you think are the biggest roadblocks when it comes to women getting the menopausal assistance that they need? I think there's a few roadblocks, actually. I think one of the things is, is because it affects women. You only need to look at the history of women, look at the, you know, the derivation of uh, hysteria coming from hysterectomy, you know, looking at how women have not been listened to for many, many years. 
So there's that. There's also this misunderstanding as well that the menopause is just about periods. It's just about loss of fertility. So this lack of understanding of what our hormones do, our estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, how biologically active they are throughout our body, that seems to have been lost in this sort of spat fight almost about whether HRT is safe or not. Forgetting what HRT is or does for a minute, just think about our hormones, what they do in our brain, what they do in our cardiovascular system, what they do in our muscles and our joints. It's really important and that's basic physiology. It's not rocket science. So I think that's been forgotten. And then I think the enormity of the problem scares people because a lot of politicians, a lot of policymakers are looking short term. They're not looking longer term and you have to invest to save and people aren't prepared to do that. Yeah. I mean, as you said, you know, it's important that one of your things is trying to empower women. What's what's the biggest message that you would want a woman to to know um, head, that's heading into menopause? I think it's the important thing is to know facts. And it's really important, ideally, to know facts before you experience symptoms, because for many of us, the commonest symptoms are memory problems, anxiety, low mood. So if your brain doesn't work well, it's harder to assimilate knowledge. So you know, being forewarned is forearmed, isn't it, I think. And knowing not just about symptoms, but knowing about the diseases that increase when we haven't got hormones in our body is really important. Because there's this big sort of thing about, oh, not everyone experiences symptoms. And if we talk about symptoms in a negative way, people will more likely have negative symptoms, which I don't believe at all from Mm. my huge amounts of clinical experience. But actually, whether I have symptoms or not as a menopausal woman, I've still got an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, type 2 diabetes, clinical depression, dementia, different types of cancers, inflammatory conditions. So I need to be thinking about that and also thinking about how am I going to make my menopause the best? How am I going to be the best version of myself? And so having time to reflect and think, well, for many people, the menopause will occur Um, and and continue for maybe a third of our lives or for young women even longer. So we've got to be having this really important conversation with ourselves. You know, am I going to carry on smoking? Am I going to carry on drinking alcohol? Am I going to change my exercise? Am I going to look at my mental health? Am I going to consider hormones or not? All of these questions um, that I think people should be asking themselves sort of almost sooner rather than later because for some women's symptoms come on very gradually. Other women say, it's like I've been hit like a bus. I just, it just come on. And then it's overwhelming. And if you haven't given it any consideration, trying to consider things when your brain isn't functioning, for some women, be very sort of catastrophic and very difficult to process, actually. Absolutely. We'll be right back after this. Perimenopause can actually start in your 40s. Declining oestrogen production during perimenopause brings on changes to menstrual cycles and often the onset of hot flushes, night sweats, mood swings and sexual problems. Promensal Peri is specifically designed for perimenopausal women and can help relieve these common menopausal symptoms. Promensal Peri is available at leading pharmacies across Australia and offers a cost-effective treatment at under $1 a day. When things start to change, try Promensal Perry. Always read the label and follow the directions for use. Okay, we're back. 
Okay, so we, we really need to talk then about your amazing achievement in developing the Balance app. How did the concept for that come about and, and how does it help women? Well, I suppose it's more of a personal story, I suppose. So seven years ago when I was setting up the website, writing lots of articles, doing lots of education, trying to start up my clinic, I was really struggling with uh, my own sort of mental and physical health, really. I was incredibly tired, like too tired to work, which is unusual for me. But also I was getting worsening migraines, I was getting muscle and joint pains, my stamina was low, I was a really irritable, horrible person to live with. But I was finding it very hard to remember things um, which really had an impact working when you can't remember drugs and names of diseases. And I was more emotionally labile um, and I was getting more urinary tract symptoms didn't even put the pieces together and think oh I'm 45 maybe I'm perimenopausal it took me a few months and actually it was one of my children that said you're so moody I think you probably need a period <laughs> and then I realized oh I haven't had a period for a few months and then the penny dropped but I was really embarrassed because firstly I'm very educated secondly I'm a menopause specialist and I still didn't recognize my own hormonal changes so I then thought, wouldn't it be great if I had an app that I could monitor my symptoms and get, you know, informed a bit quicker. But also at the same time, my clinic was getting a lot busier and I was listening to stories and we still do of women who can't afford to come to the clinic, shouldn't be coming because they're very simple, straightforward, they're not complicated medically, yet they're really, really struggling to be heard. And then with my social media work, I was hearing a lot of women globally and we're not insured to cover people from other countries unless they do their first consultation in the UK. So I was thinking, well, I can't reach everyone through my clinic. I, I absolutely can't. But what I can do with technology is reach people in different ways. So we developed the app as a way of educating people and um, allowing them to really monitor symptoms, have more information and make decisions that are right for them about not just their treatment, but their future health as well. Yeah, so basically they can, it, it's, it's also a method of them being able to um, put their symptoms in this app and then also be able to then take it to their, to their GP and say, look, I'm experiencing this, this and this. Yeah, so there's a, this health reportability. So people can put their symptoms down and periods if they're having them. And then it pulls off this health report, which will actually state what their periods are like, um, but more importantly, their symptoms and the symptoms, whether they're mild, moderate or severe. Because too many women go to their doctors and they're often told one problem, one consultation. So, for example, if I'd gone, would I talk about my muscle and joint pains? Would I talk about my migraines? Would I talk about my urinary symptoms? And of course, you can't talk about everything, but you can if you know that it's all due to your hormonal changes. So if I'd had this health report, and indeed this is what many women do, is they go to their healthcare professional and say, these are my symptoms. I've read lots of information. Now I'd like to spend my 10 minute consultation talking to you about my treatment choices. And it's so much easier for the healthcare professional because if you have an empowered patient in front of you, you can actually start the level of conversation very differently to when you have someone who doesn't know anything about what's going on. So we've had over 600,000 health reports downloaded, um, which we know is, is obviously really good. We've recently done a survey of of our users and um, over 70% of women are enabled to, to get treatment they want. I don't know what that treatment is and it doesn't matter because the important thing is it's what they want, which is really empowering to read. 
Absolutely. I mean, have you received any kind of data from from the app itself in terms of anything that may have surprised you in terms in terms of obviously we know about the you know the things like hot flushes and uh, but in terms of odd symptoms that that have surprised you? I think one of the things is is how common some of the symptoms are. So when we look at the people who are monitoring symptoms, the commonest symptoms are uh, the, the, the fatigue the brain fog, the memory problems, the anxiety, the low mood, the reduced libido, the headaches, muscle and joint pains, and they all come higher than the, the flushes and sweats, which I think is really important because for so long we've just been taught about flushes and sweats. And don't get me wrong, for some women they can really be very distressing, but actually 98% of women we see in the clinic have psychological symptoms, over 90% have memory problems. So obviously we're seeing a skewed population, but it's still, these are these are the problems that affect people. So, so many organisations are talking about fans and air conditioning and changing uniforms, but I really don't see how that's going to help people's brains to function. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, the workplace is one area where where women really can find themselves struggling when dealing with, you know, menopause and the symptoms. What is some of your experience of that from your position of a, um, as a GP? It's it's huge, actually. As we know that around 10% of women give up their jobs and uh, we know a lot more struggle. We did a survey of NHS employees and we found that 37% of women actually considered reducing their hours but couldn't afford to do so. And for me, that's really significant because if you're considering reducing your hours, it means that you're not doing as well as you maybe could. Um, and so we know that people aren't performing as well. And we also did another survey of people, so not NHS employees, and over half of them had taken more than eight weeks off work due to their symptoms of their menopause. Now, I employ a lot of people in our organisation. I would be horrified to think people were taking off of time of work for their menopause so um you know it, it's really sad actually i speak to a lot of women who've told me they've given up their job or that they've not gone for a promotion or that they've reduced their hours and if you reduce your hours you're reducing your pay as well mm. or like an lady recently said to me well of course i'm going to have a different job now i'm menopause and i can't expect to do the same work as i did 10 years ago you know and and i just don't think we should be putting up with that um you know, a lot of people now are talking about workplaces having more responsibility. And I absolutely agree they should have more responsibility to help educate. But actually, they shouldn't just be supporting women who are menopausal. They should be directing them so they get the right treatment. And that's the big problem is that only the minority of women are still receiving treatment. So there's one thing that employers aren't recognising it, but also healthcare professionals often are. And so when they sign a sick note, it might be signed for anxiety or depression or migraines, which isn't telling the employer the full story. Um, and then it's really hard then for the employer to put the right processes in and give the right support when that person comes back to work. We'll be right back after this. Okay, we're back. So where do you see that we need to go next in terms of more improved menopause assistance? I think we need to look at the menopause in a very different way. I think we don't need to think about just a, as a few symptoms and an inconvenience. We need to think about it as a condition that increased risks of disease. We need to think about our hormones as hormones that reduce inflammation in our bodies. And we know a lot about 
inflammation, as in if we eat a healthier diet, if we exercise, if we sleep better, we have less inflammation in our bodies. But if we have hormones as well, we have far less inflammation. We also need to be talking about natural hormones rather than HRT, because when people say HRT, they're always thinking about breast cancer. And actually, as you probably know, the studies haven't shown there's a statistically significant increased risk of breast cancer. And with estrogen only HRT, there's a lowered risk of breast cancer. So the hormones that we give now are very different to hormones from studies in the past. They are just the same as the hormones we produce when we're younger. If we start talking about natural hormones and the menopause being more of a hormone deficiency then it's a lot easier for people to understand um so i think changing the narrative has got to be really important because we're stuck in this time warp where everybody's talking about this whi study which was over 20 years old with misreporting of the results actually even when you look at the worst reporting of the WHI, it still showed this risk of breast cancer was lower than many lifestyle risks, such as drinking alcohol, or not exercising or being overweight. But also we have to remember that women who take hormonal therapy or you know natural hormones have a reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, diabetes, clinical depression, and probably dementia as well. Most women die from cardiovascular disease. So denying women a treatment that, that halves the risk of cardiovascular disease is nonsensical, actually. And we need to wake up and look at the evidence rather than argue about what guidelines says what, because there's a lot of bias in the guidelines that have been written. But we need to sort of unstrip and, and look at the actual evidence and unpick that. And it's very clear how safe our hormones are. OK, going back to those lifestyle changes, what, in your opinion, would be the most effective ones um if 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 someone's trying to reduce their symptoms what in your opinion would be the the ones that are that really do help the most i think we need to think about what's causing the symptoms so what's causing the symptoms is low hormones so you can't exercise your way or eat your way out of the menopause you can't replace hormones in any other way so that's important to know but there's no point taking hormones and not thinking about your lifestyle as well Probably the biggest thing people can do is look at their diet, as in what they're eating. Uh, we know there's so it's so easy now to put on weight because of the processing of foods, the ultra-processed foods, sugar content of foods. Um, it, it's so much easier to eat something as you're on the move. And obviously, having just come back from Australia, you are healthier than us because you don't go to supermarkets the same. You eat fresher food, which is great, but it's still, you know, it's still things slipping in that you know, certainly in the cities, you can see there's more first food outlets. It's a lot easier to eat rubbish. And so we need to look at that because it does have a massive impact. So we know the menopause is a cardiometabolic problem. We know that without estrogen in our bodies, we have a propensity to increase our weight anyway, regardless of whether we change our diet or not. So looking at what we're eating is really important. Looking at any other lifestyle problems such as alcohol and smoking, really important. And, you know, looking at our exercise, some people might have to change the type of exercise that they're doing. So some people who maybe have done some high intensity work or running or, um, you know, more physical exercise, if you like, might find that that's having an impact on their their symptoms. Um, changing, I mean, I'm a great advocate for yoga because it's very good physically and mentally, um, but that's me personally. But some people do find changing 
what they're doing can help. Looking mentally at what we're doing is really important. Um, I've already said the power of our hormones in our brain, but also the menopause often comes at a time where we're pulled in many directions. You know, some of us have got children, elderly parents, got changes in our careers, we've got our partners maybe doing different things with their careers. So having the ability, I think everyone should learn how to meditate and to empty their brains. Um, it's easier said than done. For sure. But, you know, that's really important. But all these lifestyle changes are investments to our future health. And we don't have to wait till we're menopausal to be starting thinking of those. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us today, Dr. Newson. We really appreciate your valuable insights. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Listeners, thank you for joining us. If you like this episode, please rate and review and subscribe. And for more information about living your best life at midlife, pick up a copy of Prevention Magazine. I'm Zoe Mernier. Until then, see you next time.